Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you like, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have several other podcasts out there, from John to Justin, Pucks and Cups, Canada's Great War, and Coast to Coast, available on all podcast platforms. I do all these podcasts full-time, the writing, the research, everything. So any dollar you give, I'll keep it all going, and I'll make sure I thank you on the air and through my social media. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. And I'm on Instagram and TikTok, where I put up daily videos about Canada's history, and my handle is Bairdo37. You can also find weekly videos about Canada's history by going to my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash c slash canadianhistoryx. And for transcripts of every single episode, just go to my website, CanadaEHX.com. Yellowhead County is a vast stretch of land that runs from Evansburg in the east to the Rocky Mountains in the west. With Highway 16 running through it, the county is a very important transportation corridor in Canada and has been so since long before the county, or even Canada, ever existed. In all, the county covers an area of 22,293 square kilometers. If it were a country... Yellowhead County would be the 147th largest country on earth, ahead of El Salvador, Israel, Slovenia, and Kuwait. The area that is today Yellowhead County was long the territory of a variety of indigenous groups, primarily the Stoney, or Nakoda people, the Cree, and the Deneza. For centuries, these indigenous groups would occupy the land that Yellowhead County sits on, and would follow game and harvest the natural food that grew abundantly through the region. Today, Yellowhead County sits on Treaty 7 land. The name of the county comes from Pierre Bostonnet, also known as Tetehuan, who was an indigenous trapper, fur trader, and explorer. Working for the Northwest Company and Hudson's Bay Company in the late 18th century and early 19th century, he would gain the nickname of Yellowhead because of his blonde hair. In the early 19th century, he would cross through Yellowhead Pass and the Rocky Mountains, which is named for him. In December of 1819, it was recorded that he led a brigade of Hudson's Bay men through the pass to meet with the indigenous. He would pass away during an altercation with the Deneza people in 1828 at the Smoky River headwaters. Only a few years prior to the death of Yellowhead, a man named Thomas Drummond would come through the area to catalogue the flora and fauna. As a botanist, he was part of an expedition that moved from Ontario to Cumberland House. It was there that Drummond quit, and he would leave the main party to explore the Rocky Mountains himself. In 1827, he would travel from Fort Vancouver to York Factory in future Manitoba. 
Along the way, he collected samples for the Royal Horticultural Society, and during this time he would journey through future Yellowhead County. As settlers started to come into the area, they wanted a place to come together for their religious needs. This would lead to the establishment of the Ukrainian Baptist Church Congregation, which was established in 1907. Many of the early settlers to the western area of Yellowhead County were from the Ukraine, and together they would build a church in the 1930s using materials they found in the area. The church, which is smaller than other churches, represents a glimpse in the past when the church was the central place for a growing community of settlers who were so far from their homeland. The church, while not used today, is still standing and can be found near the community of Park Court. In 1908, a group of 20 black settlers came up from the United States during a brief period of immigration for African Americans who were fleeing the extreme racism of the American South. Originally, the community was named Junkins. The name was chosen based on an alphabetical system used by the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway, and Junkins was a vice president of a consulting company of engineers for the railroad. In 1910, the first train would arrive in the area, and by 1922, Junkins was encouraging new settlers to come to the community. A colonization society was formed to help get more people to arrive. The name would eventually change as many of its residents found that its name was unattractive, and in 1928 the decision was made to change that name. A community contest was held and the name Wildwood was chosen. This would become the new name of the community the following year. The community is still a thriving one to this day, and the descendants of those first black pioneers have made significant contributions to Canada in the past century. As you cross into Yellowhead from Parkland County, driving between Entwistle and Evansburg, you will find the Canadian Northern Railway Trestle. This trestle was built between 1910 and 1912 as a railway construction boom was reaching the area. The bridge construction was no small task either. There were no cranes big enough to carry the steel, so the false bridge and scaffolding were all built from wood. The bridge itself was built in pieces in Scotland, assembled and tested there, and then dismantled and sent to Canada in pieces. The pieces then arrived in Entwistle via the railroad and was reassembled in 1910. The measurements made by the engineers of the bridge were so accurate that no modifications at the site were needed, and the bridge rises to 214 feet and runs for 910 feet. It is the fifth highest railway bridge in western Canada. The bridge is still in operation today, connecting Canada to the Pacific Ocean through the Canadian National Railway, and on average the bridge sees 20 trains a day cross it. With the construction of that bridge, settlement would begin at a rapid pace throughout the future Yellowhead County. In 1910, the community of Edson was founded under the name of Heatherwood. The name would change in 1911 to honour Edson Joseph Chamberlain, the vice president of the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway. Established as an important community along the railway route, Edson would begin to grow and by January 9, 1911, was a village and a few months later in September, it was a town. The Winnipeg Tribune would write of the new town, quote, Edson was born under favourable circumstances. Vigorous young city looms large in the west. All eyes now turn to Edson as one of the most profitable fields for investment in sunny Alberta. End quote. Its importance in the history of the county will be shown the many times I mentioned the community throughout this episode. Going back to Evansburg, the town site was not the original town site for Evansburg, which dated to 1910. The original town site, which was more of a mining camp, was made up of eight houses, an office, a barn, and a boarding house. Coal mining was hoped to be a big industry in the area, but while little coal was found in the original shaft, the arrival of the railroad would surge the population of the community. By 1912, there were 30 houses, including a large house for the mine engineer, pit boss, doctor, and more. Around 1914, Evansburg was officially established. It was named for Harry Marshall Erskine Evans, the future mayor of Edmonton and head mining engineer who found a little bit of the coal in the area. 
1918, a school opened in the community, followed by a high school in 1923. You can actually learn a lot about the history of Evansburg by visiting the Tipple Park Museum, which explores the coal, train, pioneer, and agricultural history of the community and the surrounding area. The name of the museum comes from Tipple Park, where a coal mine once stood near to the community. Within, you will find several exhibits as well as various historical buildings on the property of the museum, including the Mazeppa House, which was built in 1911. In 1909, John Gregg and his wife Mary discovered coal along the slopes of the Rocky Mountains. It was there, south of Cadaman and Hinton, they would establish Mountain Park the following year. The Mountain Park Coal Mine would build its own rail line to the community from Colespur, and at one point the community had a thriving population of 1,500 people with a hotel, churches, library, school, restaurants, and a hospital. The coal quality was considered to be some of the best in the West. The Edmonton Bulletin reported, quote, The quality of the coal, a matter of at least as important as the quantity, has been proved both by analysis made by the government experts and by actual use to be sound and high-grade, valuable not only as a steam or engine coal, but also for domestic use, end quote. The mine would eventually close in 1950 along with many others in the area. The mine company gave notice to the residents of the community that they needed to move their home or the home would be destroyed. Today, nothing but the Mountain Park Cemetery remains, but portions of the spur line of the railroad is still found in the area of the former community. As for the cemetery, it sits at 6,200 feet and is the highest elevation cemetery in Canada. In 1911, the community of Hinton would be formed as the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway arrived in the area. It was named for William P. Hinton, the vice president and general manager of the railway. Originally, the community was nothing more than a station house built at mile 978 west of Winnipeg. It was in this spot that an indigenous group had left members stricken with smallpox in 1870, while the rest of the group traveled to Lac St. Anne to get medical aid. For some time after, this area was known as Smallpox Camp. In 1888, a trading post was established nearby, but settlement would kick into high gear when the railroad arrived. Hinton would begin to boom in 1931 when the Hinton coal mine was opened, but the Great Depression would cause the population to fall to just 100 people, and Hinton seemed to be fading away and into the category of a ghost town. But I'll talk a little bit more about what brought it back from the brink in just a little bit. In 1912, Brule was established to take advantage of the abundant coal in the area for the Canadian Northern Railway. The community would see a huge boom when the First World War caused the need for coal to increase, and this would continue into the 1920s when the community had a population of 500 people. The community not only featured a golf course, but a racetrack and modern theatre as well. But sadly, the coal would eventually be played out, and with the shutdown of the mine in 1928, families started to leave the area. By 1932, the community was a ghost town, with over 100 buildings sitting empty. Those buildings were eventually dismantled and used elsewhere, including as far away as Edmonton, where several cottage-type houses were built with the lumber. Today, Brule still exists with a few residents and makes a great trip for anyone interested in ghost towns, even though the community today seems to be rising from the ashes as people come out there to enjoy the peaceful atmosphere. In 1913, the one-room Carrot Creek School was built just to the south of Carrot Creek in the county. The school would be operated for 40 years until it closed in 1953. Among one-room schools, it was quite small for its size, but unlike many other schools of its type, it still stands to this day and can be seen surrounded by trees. While you can't go into the building anymore, visiting it will transport you back to the days when students from across the area came out to learn in the small building. In 1913, the Edson Cemetery would be established, but there were some burials at the site as early as February 1912. The cemetery would only be used until September 1918, and many of the people buried at the cemetery were the first settlers to come to the area. Over time, the old Edson Cemetery would have graves exhumed 
and move to the Glenwood Cemetery, but not all would make the move. There are at least 18 known grave features in the Old Edson Cemetery, and you can visit this cemetery to this day and take a step into the past. For a long time, the Grand Trunk Pacific Station dominated Main Street in Edson, and there were plans to turn it into a museum. Unfortunately, this plan did not come to pass, and the station could not stay in its original location. Too expensive to move or repair, the decision was made to move in the Dandaran Station, located west of Edson, into the community. In October of 1975, it left its original home and found a new home in Edson at the RCMP Centennial Park. In 1981, the building would become the Galloway Station Museum. In 2011, when the town of Edson was looking to celebrate its centennial, the choice was made to expand the museum. The museum features a large exhibit space as well as the Visitor Information Center. Inside, you'll not only find some artifacts from the early history of Edson, but also two stuffed grizzly bears engaged in a turf war and a cougar watching as visitors come into the museum. The same year that the Edson Cemetery was established, the Red Brick School had its cornerstone laid in the community on September 17th. The school would be finished in 1914, and it would serve as the only school for students in Edson until 1951, when the Central School was finished. It would remain as an elementary school until 1967. After that, the school was used as a maintenance shed and bus barn by the Yellowhead School Division until 1984, when it was faced with demolition. But due to its heritage in the community, a committee was formed to save it. In July of 1984, the Yellowhead School Division sold the ownership of the building over to the Red Brick Aid Committee for $1. In 1986, the school was designated as a provincial heritage resource, and today it houses the Red Brick Museum, which features a 141-seat theater, an art gallery, a schoolroom museum, and several artistic organizations, including a dance company. Also that same year, at Marlboro, just to the west of Edson, the Marlboro Concrete Plant was opened by the Edmonton Portland Cement Company. The plant was opened there, and the community itself got its name, thanks to the marl, a mineral-rich mud used in the production of concrete. The plant would operate for nearly 20 years before changes in the cement industry and high overhead costs caused it to be closed down in 1931. Today, you can still see the plant, or what is left of it, as several structures in the chimney have been left to degrade over time. The location is now a heritage site for the county, thanks to the importance in the early industrial development of the area. In 1914, another small school was built in the county, just south of Wildwood. It was built by volunteer labor, and those who gave their time to build the school were paid back with a tax exemption on the school tax for that year. The school did serve the needs of the students, but it was so cold in the winter that no school was held until things warmed up. The school would operate for just over two decades until 1935 when it was closed, and a new school was built in 1936 to accommodate the growing needs of the area. The new school would continue to operate until 1957 when it was finally closed due to declining enrollment and the consolidation of the school districts. Thankfully, the school stands to this day and is now used as a local community hall. In 1917, a series of cabins were built along the edge of what is now Jasper National Park. These cabins were built for the surveyors and forest rangers, and were typically one day's journey apart. One cabin that still stands and is located south of Hinton is the Gregg Cabin, named for John Gregg, one of the earliest surveyors in the area. The cabin was the primary picnic shelter in the area for many decades, and while it still stands to this day, a larger picnic shelter was built on the site in 1999 to protect the cabin from overuse. By the time the 1920s came along, the western portion of Yellowhead County's economy was fueled by coal. Coal was the dominant industry, and that meant a lot of towns popped up because of coal. Mercoal is one such town, which literally has the word coal in it. 
The Merck Coal Mine was established in 1920 by the McLeod River Hard Coal Company. Over the next few decades, the mine would grow, and with it, Merkel. By the time the 1950s arrived, the community had a hospital, hotel, and several businesses that were thriving, with the community having the population of 800 people. Unfortunately, the mine would close in 1959 due to the decline in coal market, and that would lead to the decline of the community. Today, only a few summer houses are found in the community, and it's now classified as a ghost town. Within the community, you can still find several of the original buildings remaining as part of the Merkel cultural landscape. And if you have an interest in ghost towns, Merkel is the perfect place to visit. Another similar place in the county to visit is the Brule Mine Landscape, located west of Hinton near the entrance of Jasper National Park. As I mentioned, Brule was established by the Mackenzie and Mann Coal Mining Company in 1912, and it would operate until 1928. Today, little remains there, but there are still several of the mining buildings that stand and can be explored to this day. While you're driving down Highway 16 and coming to Carrot Creek, there's a general store that is in a building that has stood since 1928. Built by Herbert Robinson, the building also served as the first post office for the community. Eventually, Herbert's son Sam took over, and he would serve as postmaster until 1934. For the community, the store was extremely important, as it was where they got all the necessities for living on homesteads, but it also had the only telephone in the entire area. The best part of this building is that it's still standing to this day and serves as a general store in the community, and it's a great place for a quick stop to get some supplies for your road trip through Yellowhead County. Northeast of Edson, near the current Yates Natural Area, there are two homesteads that were established around the same time. The Smith Homestead was established on land purchased by Charles Smith of Arizona, which he bought in 1925. He would put up a home there costing $400, along with a chicken coop and a storehouse. The house still remains today and is a glimpse into the early homesteading past of the county. Nearby, there is the Cicerelli Dance Hall, which was built by the Cicerelli family in the 1930s. They operated the dance hall throughout the 1940s into the 1960s, where dances were held every Saturday night with the family playing live music. The dance hall was an important social center for the area, including Edson, and it still stands today, but three-quarters of its maple dance floor have sadly been removed. One fascinating story from the Edson area comes from Prince Leo Golitsyn, a member of the Russian nobility, he would flee from Soviet Russia during the First World War as the Bolsheviks upended the country during the revolution. He would decide that his place would be in Canada, and in 1929, he made his way to Edson. It was here, along with his wife, who was said to be an Egyptian princess, that he purchased 420 acres of land along the McLeod River. He and his wife soon became important members of the community, and even started up a charter air company. The couple's home was built of logs and furnished with linens bearing the family crest as well as furniture, books, and other items you would not see in a typical log home at the time. The prince would only stay in the area until 1934 when his wife sadly died during a vacation in Europe. At that point, he moved to Hollywood and would act as an extra in movies. He would pass away in 1969. One of the most fascinating men to live in the area around the mid part of the 20th century was Flash William. Called a one-man movie industry, William Shuchuk spent his life working in the oil fields and at any other place he could find a job. He arrived in the area in 1937, and after serving in the Second World War, he opened up his own photography studio in the community. Known for his skill playing hockey, he earned the nickname of Flash. When the local mine closed in 1950, Shuchuk was one of the few residents to remain. He would then purchase a 16mm camera and began to make movies. As the writer, director, cinematographer, actor, editor, and sound mixer, as well as a projectionist and ticket taker, he toured the province with his films. Eventually, the National Film Board would make a film about him in 1978. Over the course of his filmmaking career, he would make three feature films, sometimes with just himself on set. He would pass away in 2000.
1941, Evansburg, which had been suffering a downturn in its economy, would get a shot in the arm thanks to the Evansburg Creamery. Built that same year, this business thrived and helped grow the businesses of the area. The Creamery would eventually close, and today only an empty lot remains of this once important business in the community. Today, Evansburg is a thriving community with a very unique tradition. Each year at the Pembina Valley Family Days Festival, the community elects an official town grouch. This has been going on since 1979, and the winner is licensed to pester, harass, antagonize, criticize, complain, and grumble without fear of reprisal for the entire year. For this reason, Evansburg is now known as the home of the grouch. The grouch dates back to 1974 when John Lauer created it, but he didn't expect it to become a tradition. He was tasked with creating a sign for the town, and he had it say population 603, 29 dogs, 41 cats, 1 grouch. He would say, quote, that caught a lot of attention, end quote. When the town started to vote on a grouch, people were not interested in being the grouch, but that would slowly change. In 1995, Lauer was named the town grouch for the first time. The grouch would even be referenced by Jay Leno on The Tonight Show in the 1990s. Lauer would say, quote, I thought that's my moment of glory. I didn't ever think we'd get to this point. I'm just so pleased, end quote. During the Second World War, many camps were set up around Canada to deal with German prisoners of war. Two such camps, Camps 132 and 133, were set up just outside of Brule. Another camp was set up near Granada, with two large buildings being built side by side on the hill. In all, the camp held about 125 Germans and five guards who watched over for any escape attempts. One of the men at this camp was said to be one of the top officials around Adolf Hitler. For the most part, he kept to himself, but he could often be seen at camp and in town wearing a polished uniform, walking with a cane, and with his black dog next to him. Eventually, with the end of the war, the prisoners would be shipped out. By the 1950s, land near Evansburg was purchased by Cliff Ross, and it was there he would build three guest cabins, as well as the family home and then a ranch hand house. Taking a cue from years past, he built the buildings using factory-cut logs that were assembled using interlocking tongue and groove joints. But that's only part of the importance of these cabins and their heritage. The rest of the story comes courtesy of Cliff's daughter, Gail. It was at this ranch that Gail would learn to ride horses, and she would develop her skills that would propel her to greatness in the sport both nationally and internationally. By the age of 20, she was being written about in Sports Illustrated for her skills in competition. She would become jumper champion at Edmonton Northland six times between 1963 and 1978, and the Calgary Spring Meet five times. She won the New York Grand Prix in 1963, and was the North American champion that same year. For her skills and success, she would be inducted into the Alberta Sports Hall of Fame in 1982. During the 1950s, work began to upgrade Highway 16 along what is now known as Yellowhead Highway, which runs from Winnipeg to the coast of British Columbia and is called Canada's second Trans-Canada Highway. This upgrading would lead to a surge of population for communities in Yellowhead County along the highway, but especially Edson and Hinton. And with that higher population came more commercial opportunities and thriving local economies. In 1955, a pulp mill was constructed near Hinton, which at the time only had a few people in it. This brought rapid growth to the area, and a new village was developed and named Drinan in 1956. The two communities amalgamated into one town on April 1, 1957, forming the present town of Hinton. On February 8, 1986, Yellowhead County would suffer one of its most tragic days in its history. It was on that day that a freight train was leaving Edson at 6.40 a.m., heading to the east. Around the same time, the Supercontinental was at Hinton and left late from the track heading to the west. At 8.40 a.m., the lead locomotive of the freight train collided with the Supercontinental. On the passenger train, one coach was crushed by the freight car after it was thrown into the air by the collision. Two sleeper cars were thrown on their side, while the mid-train locomotive was severely damaged. 
The disaster killed 23 people and injured 71, making it the deadliest rail disaster in Canadian history at the time. After 56 days of testimony, it was found that the collision was caused by the freight head and crew failing to stop their train due to unknown factors, and the conductor failing to use the emergency brake to stop the train. The inquiry also highlighted serious flaws in Canadian National Railway's culture and safety practices. Wildwood sits along Chip Lake, and it's within there you will learn of the story of Dippy, the Chip Lake Monster. The Lake Monster is a bit more recent than its siblings, the Ogopogo and the Loch Ness Monster. In the 1980s, Wildwood wanted to drive up its tourism a bit, and they came up with the idea of Dippy the Lake Monster. Dippy has made it into the news occasionally as well. Don Smith wrote about visiting the area of Wildwood in September 1987, and he would write, quote, It's home to Dippy, the Chip Lake Monster. His chipness was hiding the day we visited, end quote. At one point, there was a life-sized version of Dippy that sat on the lake, but after some locals started shooting at it, the statue was taken off the lake, but the story of Dippy, the relative of the Ogopogo, continues to this day. In 1990, a municipal copper and nickel token was created to honor Dippy, and you can still find some still on eBay. Dippy has also become the subject of a children's book called Into the Wilds of Chip Lake, which follows Bucky and Chippy on an adventure as they discover what friendship truly is. You can find a copy of it at the Galloway Station gift shop. If you would like to explore the history of Yellowhead County, a great way to do it would be through the Heritage Self-Guided Tour. This tour, which is a full day if you do the entire tour, takes you to the historical highlights in the communities of Marlboro, Hinton, Brule, Kettleman, Mountain Park, Merkel, and Robb. The tours provide a lot of information about the coal mining history of the area. For more information about the tours, contact the Heritage Coordinator of Yellowhead County. You can also learn about the history of the area at the Northern Rockies Museum of Culture and Heritage. Located in Hinton and housed in the original Grand Trunk Pacific Railway Station, you can immerse yourself in the history of the area through its portable tablet displays and tactile displays that look at the human, industry, and natural history. There are many artifacts from the community's history to explore in this wonderful museum. I hope you enjoyed that episode and my look at Yellowhead County. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can email me at craig at canadaehx.com. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D, and I'm on Instagram at Bairdo37. As well, again, if you want to support the podcast, you can for as little as $3 a month. Just go to patreon.com slash canadaehx. And you can donate to the podcast by going to canadaehx.com and clicking donate. I'd also like to thank all of my wonderful patrons, and I apologize if I get any names incorrect. Michael Matthews, Joanna Parker, Jeff Dahl, Vobs, Robert Page, Richard D., Colin Johnson, Katie Caldwell, Jeff Hershey, Kyle Murray, Steve Pakin, Matthew Gartho, Lionel Romaine, Dr. Bob Turner, an anonymous patron that I truly do appreciate, Randy Hayden, Doug Campbell, Reg W., Deborah Carlson, Francis Helbling, Nick Zinri, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roy, Luke S., J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.